This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Hey, everyone. Coach Shooty here. You know, I know a heck of a lot about learning and development, but one of the areas that I honestly struggle with is this idea of learning data. Well, if you're like me, this show is going to be a real treat. We have with us John Lathbury. He's an expert in learning data, and he's going to share with us his thoughts on the value of data, what to look for with data, how to plan your data, and most importantly, how to use your data to get better results. So get ready for a fantastic show. Cue the music. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott and Dan are making it lots of fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're going to keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another fantastic, fantastic episode of your Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm Coach Shooty, and with us, as always, you love him, he's awesome, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. He's the shit. Oh, oh, he dropped a long one on me. <laughs> I did. Did. How's it going, Daniel? You know, I'm, I'm fair to Midland. I'm I knew I'm you were going to say that. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. That's absolutely fantastic. I'm glad you're fair to Midland. Um, we have an exciting... I'm sorry? I said I'm a creature of habit. You are a creature <laughs> of habit. And that's why I love you, man. You're awesome. Just like our announcer said. Uh, it, we've got a fantastic show, and I don't want to bury the lead. So we are going to need to get um, our fantastic co-host. You love her. She's the queen of learning. Abby Dawson. Abby. Hi there. How do you like that queen of learning? I'm getting it put on a shirt, maybe a mug. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, that's a great idea. Getting that on the shirt or a mug, the queen of learning or the princess of what's a P word that goes with learning princess of oh gosh now you've stopped me princess of storyline <laughs> Not close, of that. close that's enough a, that's a terrible <laughs> thing hey folks we've actually have um a special guest with us tonight and i'm super excited uh because tonight we're going to be talking about something that i don't know a heck of a lot about which means that i'm going to learn stuff and, and that's fantastic so with us in studio uh mr john lathbury John. Hey, how's it going, sir? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Again, thanks for joining us here on the show. Uh, you come highly recommended uh, from Mr. Coonrod, so I expect nothing but fantastic stuff. 
fantastic, groovy learning stuff. But before we get into the things that I know that you want to talk about and learn a little bit about you, sir, by the segment that we call What's Your Deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? John, what's your deal, man? So uh, I am a a data person, a data analyst uh, by trade and by practice. Um, I kind of fell into training data. Uh, I also fell into training, though, so it's not a real surprise that I fell from one step to the next. Uh, I actually uh, originally, when I finished college, went in and... uh, I worked at a coroner's office, about as far from training and data as you can possibly get. You, you oh, hold on. How do you get from working in the coroner's office, like Quincy, to uh, learning and development? How does how does that transition happen? So, uh, anybody familiar with learning and development is going to believe I'm lying here, but I, I left the coroner's office because the stress level was too high, and instead decided that teaching was below stress. <laughs> And how'd that work out for you? Uh, overall, it is quite a bit less stressful, but for different reasons. Um, I gotcha. All right. So that worked out for you. Like, I would love to go to a coroner's office uh, on some days. Today would be one of those days that I'd be like, yeah, I, yeah. Let's oh, go geez. ahead and work with dead people. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with the live people. Live people can be a lot of no fun, right? But dead people, you know. They're a little less they're not as good at following directions. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you, you really have to work to get more out of them. And technically, they are the only people who are no longer learning and or developing. Learning, yes. <laughs> developing, we could discuss in great, disgusting detail another time. Oh, my gosh. But what if we didn't? <laughs> no, we're going to move on to numbers, right? Let's move on to... <laughs> I love that idea. I, I so love that idea. All right, great. Hey, John, thank you so much for joining our show, uh, agreeing to come on and take our measly penance of $5 uh, to talk about groovy stuff with us. And, uh, you know, without further ado, let's, let's dig into this thing called uh, learning data in our topic of the week. Okay, John, you talked a little bit about transitioning from being a corner into data um talk to us a little bit about data and then it's a it's effect on uh, learning oh data's effect on learning and data joke is hard to measure um because it affects so many different aspects of it i mean you it's one of those catchwords you hear all over the places big data and you know machine learning all of these things that have to do with data but really when you get down to it all it is is looking at the results for either a training or even as small as a question on a training, taking that data and then making it into larger data sets so that you can look for things like trends and outliers. And you use that to help make informed decisions. Uh, A lot of times you'll hear people say that data drives decisions. And while data is a driver of decisions, it should never be the entire picture. There's too much, especially when you're talking training. There is too much that relies on the human element to say that data is your only source of information. But the nice thing about data is it can show you things that are not obvious, things that you don't get from watching someone taking a test, but only get from watching a thousand people take a test. You know, so it's kind of interesting that that you're saying that. I, I know, like, as I've 
gotten further along in my my learning and development career a lot of times i'm like give me the data let me see the data like data is king and to hear a data guy say that that like hey don't don't forget the human side data isn't the end all be all that's that's surprising can can you talk about that like why not so the reason i say that is it's very easy when you look at the data to to get tunnel vision and you start looking at little changes in data and maybe sometimes you read too much into those changes like oh you know uh, since we've rolled out this new training program our um, people are scoring five percent less on this test it's like well that's good to know you know you're scoring five percent less maybe you need to take a look why maybe it's changing your failure rates but maybe that's not the whole story like the, the data is indicating that something is happening and maybe it's something as simple as a technical glitch. Maybe the wrong answer is being marked. Maybe the trainer for those classes has been has changed up how they're sharing information that is causing people to, to second guess on that test. So the, the data can say, hey, these are areas you need to go look, and it can give you highlights on places to go. But when you're especially talking about learning and development, there's so much direct human interaction that isn't in a computer system, that you can't ignore that. That's working with an incomplete data set, which drives data people up the wall to say, here's 50% of your data, tell us the rest. It's like, well, I need both sides. I can't give you a whole story. And what do you think about, uh, especially this last year, a lot of that in-person piece has changed. Do you think that we need to adapt how we look at data based on how people are approaching learning? I mean, data models should be updated to take into account what's happening in the moment at any time. Um, sometimes you adapt the data model because you want to see how things have changed compared to maybe a previous status quo. Like in the case of going with a whole lot of remote learning, you have to take into account the environment of the learners. Before, within person, you controlled that environment. So you're introducing a new data point that may be hard to quantify. You know, you can't necessarily have people check off what's in their room and use that to say, oh, well, they're failing because they, have, they don't have a Bose speaker. It's like, well, okay, that, that's a data point to add in if you're actually tracking that. Uh, but adapting that model and taking in the fact that you've, you've changed drastically, especially with, with everything going on with COVID, you've changed the environment of training so dramatically that holding the two data sets up to each other and saying that they're equal is kind of blindsiding. You, you have to treat them as separate. So I, I think what you're seeing, the shift in this data in particular, uh, and I actually started a new position during COVID, so I got to experience this firsthand with my onboarding. Uh, one of the things that I really encountered was that our training sessions were shorter which I thought was a really interesting change in the data points. Like my onboarding at my new company was only about three days long, where previously it had been about two weeks. And as I was thinking through that, I was like, wow, this is a real change in terms of training. Like how, how does the team that's recording my onboarding take into account the fact that my training was less than 50% of the original intended course? So uh, I think I may have gotten a little off from your original question there, but it, <laughs> No, it's good. Um, I think that that's, that's a good point that it doesn't change necessarily in like linear ways. So there's a whole lot more to the story than it's more virtual or we ask more online questions or they're not having like an online lecture. They're watching webinars instead. Um, 
that it's more complex than we're not in person. So, John, when you started your new position in COVID, did they recently change their onboarding to meet the new demands of the world that we're living in? Or was that a conscious effort that was made pre-pandemic? I would love to say that I was able to peek behind the curtain on that one. Unfortunately, when I came in, they had just instituted not being physically in the office. Um, my new manager was actually expecting to meet me for at least a week before we stayed uh, distanced and remote, and we didn't even get that opportunity. My impression from working with those trainers and as they were rolling out these programs was that they were definitely adapting very fast. Uh, they had new materials, new content ready to go for my training. And as far as I can tell, the class immediately before me was still in person. So they were using different materials. It was a very fast pivot on their part. I don't know if they had been preparing in advance. But if they hadn't, then I tip my hat to them for producing high quality content very fast. Wow. That, that's just really, really interesting. So I have to ask this question. If you know any of answer, I get it. So do you, are you privy to, since we're talking data, are you privy to the data behind both examples, right? So you know that where you were onboarding, it was two weeks, and now it's three days. Based on objectives from that initiative, can what, what does the data, what is the data telling us about that new experience? Do you, do you have that visibility or no? So in my new company, I'm actually not connected with learning and development. Um, I'm going more pure analytics, so I, I can't really peek behind the curtain there um, like I would at previous companies. Uh, I know from my experiences, I actually gave them feedback saying, hey, guys, I think you did a great job. But I feel that now I'm lacking in a couple of areas, things that uh, may have been included before, may not, but that I felt that I didn't get as much as, as that I would have been comfortable coming in as a new hire. So I did submit that feedback to them. Um, they thanked me. I don't know what happened after that, but uh, you know, I wanted to provide that and say, you know, hey, I think you need to make sure you're not missing out on these elements, even with it being remote. But you didn't rage quit 30 days after the fact, so that's a good sign. No, no I'm actually just coming up on my one year anniversary. <laughs> so we talk about data, like, where you know where do you get that data and then you know where does it live so where you get the data is is a complex question depending on how the different companies are set up the most common place would be from your learning management system or your lms not all lms are created equally however uh, there are many who track uh, high level information how many attendees what was their score how long were they there the kind of the i want to say almost like the core three for training data uh, there's a lot more information that helps have that out but for the most part if you're going to tell a manager how their team did those are the three things that they ask first some lms have much deeper information and uh, it varies from company to company on what they're tracking what tools they have available and that has to do usually a lot with the different security levels and partnerships with IT and all kinds of extra stuff in there. Uh, so depending on your LMS, you could get kind of data like what did they click in this learning module, which 
you know, is, is almost a, a instructor designer's dream to know if people are actually clicking on the stuff that you've put in front of them. And usually that data is housed uh, within the LMS for varying amounts of time available. Sometimes, you know, they keep 30 days. Sometimes they'll keep the entire history for the trainee. It, it really depends. And uh, there's also the second part of that, which is the LRS, which is the learning record system. And those ones will usually keep larger data sets, and they're really meant for actually just tracking that information in the long term. Uh, I mean, there's I can name off a bunch of LMS. One of the most popular ones that people work with is Cornerstone, uh, which I've worked with now several times. And they store a great deal of data. But the interesting thing about their system is that the way you design the module directly impacts how much data you can get back from it. Certain versions of training modules, uh, depending on if you're doing like SCORM compliance, will uh, allow you to track certain things versus XAPI or TinCan that may allow you to track different pieces of data or more. So the LMS can only provide as much data as put into it for you to pull back out. So I love that. Um, I'm in a very young learning services org in a, in a company that has just started like building that part of their business out. And what I'm finding is people have great ideas about the kinds of programs they want to see come out of learning services and the objectives they want out of those programs. But what we have to keep reminding them is we don't have a way to get that data to you yet. Either we don't know if our LMS can do it yet because we're so new to it, or the LMS may gather it, but we don't really know how to pull it or we don't know how to analyze it. So like simple terms, like we aren't sure yet what completion means on this report that we pull. Does it mean that they spent enough time on it? Does it mean they passed? Does it? So um, that added complexity of helping the business understand even like we kept having to back them up and go, let us figure the data out first. We can't put the data needs before the rest of the program or it'll never work. Yeah, and there were two things you mentioned there that I actually I'd love to touch on a little bit more. One of them you mentioned was getting the data out. That is one of the most complex things when you're dealing with an LMS. Uh, depending on how the LMS is designed, they may try to keep you within the system for doing their reports. Like they have their dashboard, they have their tools, and you can use those dashboards. And depending on the company, that might be all you need. Sometimes you need more or you need to combine it with data from maybe a second LMS or maybe you're taking that LMS data and you're combining it with data from your workforce team so you can see you know, who reports to uh, which managers and things like that or maybe sales numbers uh, and that's when things get a little more interesting because you have to have some way for the LMS to provide the data in a way that you can use uh, sometimes and I've experienced this directly that means manually running a report once a day, downloading it, and then using another analytics software to try to piece all of those things together. Sometimes the LMS are built to export their data, and in which case, it's a dream. It's just a matter of finding the key to get to that data, and then you can pull it into whatever system you want to work with it. Uh, the second thing you mentioned was like defining completion. I cannot tell you how many times I ran into somebody saying, well, did they complete the course? And my first question is, do you mean did they pass the course? Or did they click through all of the slides? Did they take the allotted time you expected? You know, what is completion? 
And from a, a data point of view, that's something you can run into even within an LMS because the LMS designer had their idea of completion and they'll usually hard bake that in. So it'll say, you know, Abby completed this course and that might be all they give you is yes, they completed it. And then you as the data analyst have to go in and be like, okay, well, yes, they marked it complete. That's great. But I need to know their score. I need to know how many attempts they had. I need to know how long they spent in this course. And maybe completion for you is not that they got 100% right, but that they got it right, that they completed the course the first time. Then maybe they didn't get interrupted and pulled out of their training. So defining those terms when you're dealing with data for this is really, really pivotal. And I'm super glad you mentioned that. So actually, I want to jump in because let me ask you, and this may be an unfair question. You're talking about data and which data is useful. In a perfect John data world, what are like, I don't know, the top five pieces of data you think learning and development professionals should be looking to get and tracking? Uh, well, I mentioned three of them. Um, and those three, uh, the, the top three, like the core ones that you really need to provide even the basic level is who was it, what did they score, and when did they finish? Um, the fourth one, adding on to that, that also is kind of important is what did they do? So, you know, you, those four, just to start with, are base level information. I can't tell you how Dan did on this course if I didn't know who he is, what his score was, when he did it, and what it was he did. Like, that, that's your, your basis. You can't do anything without at least three of those four. Honestly, I say all four of them are needed. Uh, the other one that I think is kind of the, the really critical one is number of attempts. How many times did you do this course? And uh, that's another one that can be kind of tricky because most LMS systems are, once you've completed it, cool. I don't care if you do it five more times. But as a trainer, as an L&D person, if somebody passes a course the first time, but they do it six more times, they're clearly trying to get something more out of it. And that's really important information because you may want to go back to them and say, hey, you've done this six times. Are you looking for something particular? Is there something that's not quite making sense? Like you pass the test. Yay, you, you have met the minimum for completion, but you clearly feel incomplete in the training. So that number of attempts thing, that my number, that's my number five. Of the, if you want those top five, those are the ones that you really want because you can build a really good picture of the life of a person and of a course using those points. I'm just blown away that someone would actually take compliance testing more than once. That's just <laughs> where I'm at right now. Right? <laughs> I, I, and even if it's something that I, that I found valuable, depending upon course length, like today we were discussing, we're in the process of, you know, interviewing RFPs for, you know, cloud and LMS, right? So we're looking at those kind of solutions, which is fantastic. And the, um, the, the data that they were touting was progression. And just like you said, John, I had to say, well, define progression. What, what does that mean? And then like, for me, it was like, if, if we're going to go multimedia, I want to know when my user checks out, right? So when did they check out and stop watching? Uh, they had an interesting answer around that, but I, I love where you're coming from with this number of attempts and normally when i think number of attempts it's because they failed the first time like if i fail the course the first time i got to take it again and again which is still great information for me to know because it identifies one of two things either a 
the questions that I wrote, we had a nice uh, episode on questions a few weeks ago, the questions that I wrote were terrible and I need to look at them. Or B, it's a question of did I provide the content in a way that was relevant? Or it could be C, a combination of both of those. But from a from a from a design perspective and from an implementation perspective, understanding of that is really important. But you just blew my mind with, yeah, I'm going to take this course because uh, it was so awesome six or seven times. I have times. seen it. I've never I seen that. I know that Dan has um, seen it. <laughs> Daniel, Abby, have you seen that? I, I have, yeah. I have seen it recently. Um, the users um, of our LMS are not direct employees. Um, they, they're like um, dealer sellers of our products. And a lot of them rely on our resources for product knowledge uh, because they come from smaller companies. So we do see users in there several times um, because as they go out after their first sale, they come back and go, maybe I didn't know everything I thought I did. And they retake courses. Well, that's really interesting. That, I was about to say, Abby, what you said is fantastic. The idea that somebody would be like, oh, I feel like I didn't quite get it, so I'm going to retake it. Uh, Scott, you and I have talked about this before, but this idea, uh, in our industry and in many industries, we have a captive audience. I'm going to pay you some money. You're going to sit at your computer. You're going to take this course. And I think a lot of times as designers, we go, okay, cool. I know they'll do this. I know they'll take this course because they have to. Uh, so like designing courses that people want to take and will take again and again is one of those things that is super important to me. But even then, no, it's super rare. It's super rare that somebody's like, yeah, I'd like to take this course again. Yeah, the, the learner in me is all about, well, I, I would want to have just-in-time learning resources past, because there's a difference, and we can get into this, John. There's, in my head, there's a difference between certification and then just-in-time knowledge, right? So uh, the YouTube's a great example. Like, I'm not going to go to YouTube to get certified on anything. And, oh, by the way, if anybody hands you a certificate that they got from YouTube, I would immediately question it, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I go there all the time to know how to turn my check engine light off on my car. And I'm going there all the time because as soon as I remember how to do that, I forget and I got to go get it right away. But I'm not going to pass some certification course on how to turn the engine light off on my car. Does that make sense? I, I think the highest compliment uh, training content creators can get is when people will use their content over a provided knowledge base. Because that means that your training content did such a good job explaining it and did it so succinctly that people will retake the training rather than go look something up that may have the information. And there's a number of reasons that can happen. Maybe they don't have a knowledge base available, depending on the situation. Maybe the knowledge base doesn't get updated as often as training content. But in a situation where you have no knowledge base, your training becomes that knowledge base. And that's when you actually do see people retake training that they've already completed. Uh, I wanted to add a D reason for why people might redo training if they get pulled away from the training. I've seen at times where somebody's like, I have this training assigned, I need to do this, and they'll get five minutes in, and the manager comes over and says, hey, I need you in this meeting now. Drop everything, come to this meeting, and they'll get up and walk away. And if it's a video training, maybe they forgot to hit pause. The training goes through it and says, congratulations, you've completed. And they come back, and they're like, well, I saw 30 seconds of this, so I guess I'm going to have to watch it again now because I'm going to be tested on it later. 
Um, that's kind of a weird situation, but I, it's one that I encountered enough times where people get pulled away from the training that they would actually go back and redo it. So that, that retake counter also adds into that one, which can be really interesting from a management behavioral point of view. I think that's fascinating, John. I think as more people work from home that uh, take training on your own time kind of thing, you take that when your toddler's sick at home and you're trying to avoid calls, and then you got to mm-hmm. hop up in the middle of watching a training and go pull your toddler off the counter because he's after the knives. So like, they're, <laughs> I think that those are things people should be looking for more. I think that that's a, a great insight and probably one I know I didn't think about, and I'm sure others didn't either. Now, the the danger with that one is assumptions. And a lot of people fall into this trap with data is they'll look at something and they say, oh, it's because of this. And it's like, well, hang on. And that comes back to what I was talking about earlier with the data being an indicator. The data can indicate what's happening. The data can't always answer what's happening. Like, I might see you, Dan, and Scott all left a training halfway through. Dan may have left it because he has groceries at the step and it's raining and he doesn't want them to get soggy. You may have left because your toddler has apparently got a thing for knives. Um, Scott may have lost his internet connection. The LMS that's tracking that is simply going to see that you stopped. It doesn't know why unless you have some way to tell it why. So like if you have a question at the end of your uh, the training or um, depending on the module, maybe you have something where if they stop it partly through, it can pop up and say, hey, you didn't finish the training. Can you tell us why? That's the kind of data point someone like me would go crazy for. I would love to be able to track how many times people were interrupted in training because of unscheduled meetings, because of family emergencies, you know, because their internet cut out. Like that, that's a great data point that you can take back because now you can start to filter out those training incompletes for things that were beyond their control. You mentioned um, SCORM and, um, you know, the, the latest trend on XAPI. And, and I, I've got to admit that, you know, this whole notion of XAPI feels very new in our space. Could you talk a little bit about the differences between the two and what you may or may not be excited about when it comes to new rich data? Uh, I mean, well, as a data person, to me, there's no such thing as too much data. I would rather filter out what I don't need than have to badger people to find what I do need. Uh, but the the differences that I've run into with, with SCORM, and of course, there's different versions of SCORM. Um, older versions of SCORM may only track completion and score. Newer versions may track uh, individual answers to individual questions, which you know increases your data exponentially to based on the number of questions. Uh, I haven't been able to play as much with XAPI, uh, partly due to my my shift away from from more of the learning, the development stuff, but uh, also because uh, the last time I was working in that, they really weren't ready for XAPI. It was it was the buzzword. They were getting ready, like, hey, you know, we're going to do this XAPI stuff. It's going to capture all kinds of stuff. And when they listed off everything it would capture, it was the first time in my life I ever thought this might be too much data. Uh, just because it's easy to say, we have all of this information, so obviously we must be able to learn everything that's happening. It's like, that. there's a lot of information in there, yes, but the more information you add, the more you have to be able to process what is meaningful data versus what is data captured because the system recorded that you moved your mouse three inches to the left and then paused for two minutes. So they're, they're, I'm, I'm excited for what XAPI can provide in terms of usable data, but at the same time, I'm hesitant because you have to sift through that data and 
you'll have to be able to explain to people who aren't data people why you're ignoring something to them sounds amazing like i can see their mouse didn't move for five minutes like well their mouse didn't move for five minutes because you played a 10 minute video like you have to take some of this into account so the the potential is great how it gets deployed will be very individualistic not only to the data person but to the company and the modules using the xapi if i were in the market for a new lms would that be a deal breaker for me do i do i need to have an lms that's x api ready today or do you believe that's just going to be something that is going to happen as it becomes more and more relevant so the nice thing about getting an lms that has it now is it gives you options and options are great uh, you know, we just recently saw the death of Flash, and that caused some interesting times for a lot of learning and development where older modules simply like, hey, guess what? I no longer run. So staying ahead of things like that is great. Like, you know, if XAPI may take off, XAPI may fall flat. It may be that it's too much data and that people simply don't have a need for it. And even though it's this amazing tool with all this information, if no one needs that information, then why go for XAPI when doing a newer version of SCORM gets you the same thing? Um, I'm inclined to say cover the bases. Most modern LMS are going to cover XAPI because they think their customers will want XAPI. So at this point, I think you might actually have to work to find one that doesn't have that latest trend because they want to attract customers. They're a business like anything else. And they're going to want to have those key words that people are saying. That's why you see a lot of LMS talking about gamification, because they know that it's a buzzword that attracts companies to come in and use their system. Uh, whether or not that gamification works well for the customers, obviously, depending on how they employ it. And I view XAPI the same way. If your company does not need that level of granularity for data, if the LMS has it, that's cool. If they don't have it, then it's not as much of an issue for you. I want to ask a follow-up to that. So with all this data potential out there, if you were to sit down and start a new reporting strategy for a learning service, how would you approach, like, do you have a strategy for how you create um, a reporting group? That's a really good question. Um, I, for the most part, I've been kind of constrained by the systems that were available to me. So the idea of building something from the ground up is like, you know, really cool nerdage smile. Like I'm excited about that idea. Um, Listeners at home, he's literally bouncing in his chair. So <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> I do that. Um, I mean, gosh, there's there's so many different ways. Like to me, the best system for getting data is the one that is the most interconnected to other systems. So, like having an LMS that provides you know, whatever level of data, SCORM, XAPI, however much you want in there, being able to provide all of that data is great. But if you can combine it with something outside of that LMS, you end up with even more insights. Um, you know, so the LMS might be able to show you, hey, these 15 people uh, did not score well on this. But when you combine that with your your database of who reports to which managers and works on which products or uh, is maybe has a certain tenure, you can start to see much larger trends. And that's when you can do fun things like targeting people who have been around for a little while 
for a retraining on something that maybe they're struggling with. And, you know, in the case I worked with in call centers, if you can take that training data and put in their hierarchies and which clients maybe they're servicing and then pull in how they're doing on the phone calls, now you can actually track the life of somebody. Like, how are they doing in the training? How have they applied it? Is there something you need to retrain them on? Maybe their call times are too long and you need to help them be a little more brief, which is something I'm guilty of, you know, maybe blathering a little. So I'm, I'm guilty of that one too. Um, but, but to me, that's like, that's kind of the, the golden egg there is being able to connect multiple systems together to create one holistic image. And that's very difficult because many times these systems aren't meant to talk to each other. That's, that was never designed by them. They provide their data in this nice little box. And you're very happy to have that box because it has the data in it. The idea of taking this box, putting it in this box with another box on top of it, and then, you know, for fun, we're going to put a hamster wheel on the side so that you can refer all of this out. Like, that, that's the, that really is the goldmine. That's the ultimate goal of any data analyst is to provide a full picture. This is just amazing. Um, we've got a little bit of time before we start to wrap things up. And I'm really curious about, you know, from your perspective, what are some really groovy trends out there from data that our audience needs to be aware of? What should they be looking about? What should they be thinking about? What are some best practices that, you know, uh, as we wind down this awesome time with you, John, that you want to make sure our, our audience understands? Probably the biggest thing, anytime you're dealing with, with data, especially large data, is ask questions. Um, and and try, if, if you have the opportunity to look at, let's say you're, you're being presented with a report. If you have the opportunity to look at the report in advance and build up some questions, when you get to meet with the data person, it helps move them to what you need. One of the biggest challenges for me is when somebody says, I need a report that shows scores. I, I'm left adrift. Um, I, I think, Abby, you can probably relate to this. It's like, scores on what? Like, I need, in order for me to give you data, I need you to give me data. The more details that you can provide to a data analyst, the better they can tailor their response to you. And they'll tell you when they have what they need. Like they're, they're, most data analysts are not going to sit there and let you talk for two hours about how important it is to have somebody's name spelled right. If you just say, hey, I, I need the spelling to be standardized, be like, cool, we're ready to go. I can start working on that. So having a clear definition of what you want as an output is probably the best thing you can do to help anyone working with large data. For the people working with large data, the flip side of it um, is prepare your questions for the person who needs the report in advance, uh, it's really easy to get in there and say, well, I need to know da, 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 da. But a lot of times people aren't prepared to answer those questions because they're not data people. They don't necessarily think in terms of relationship tables and doing inner and outer joins and all of these crazy things that we do to bring data together. So if you can make five or six questions in advance, um, the top one for me is always, who is the audience? It's the same question you ask for training. Same thing, we do that for reports. We say, who is the audience? What is their level of knowledge? I would make a very different report for a senior executive who just needs to know how a training course is going than I would for a trainer who needs to know how individuals are doing on this particular course and any questions they need to watch out for. If you can get some of those questions in advance and send them to the person before the meeting, that's a huge win. Um, and then it works the other way too. Like if you're going to meet with the data person, send them your questions in advance. But 
you know, when I go to build a report, there's always these questions that I need to ask. And if I have the opportunity, I'll provide them in an email before I meet with the person just to establish the groundwork of what do I need to know? Because then if they reply, I can then come with further questions and it speeds up the whole creation process. Context is king. Yes. Uh, I mean, trends in data, like the a lot, like machine learning is this hot word. I have not delved as much into machine learning as I think I should. It's actually something that's on my list for the coming years to get a little bit more into that. I, I mean, the nice thing about this is going to sound a little bit weird. As much as data analytics evolves, there are certain core principles that don't change. And that's where is the data? How do I get it? What do you want it to do? Like in my current role, whenever somebody comes to me, that's always I'm like, okay, you want me to produce this report? That's great. I need to know where the data is. And uh, one of the things that, that I try to hold really true to is that I will modify the data the bare minimum. And when I say modify, I'm talking about like spelling corrections, trimming off leading and, and uh, following spaces, things like that. Uh, you want to get the data as close to the source as possible. And uh, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Uh, I've had data sources provided to me that I looked at it and wanted to cry because there was no way I could use it. But what that let me do is go back to that team and say, hey, this is what you want, but these are the things with your data that you should be aware of. And it can be things like trainers have experienced this. I've, I've experienced it myself in my own training classes. I had two of the same person in a training class on my roster because their name was spelled different. Like, it, and it seems like such a simple thing, but it's really easy when the person who originally enters that data, they just aren't paying attention or, you know, they just slip and, and you can end up with two entries for the same person. I actually had an employee who could not log into his computer because somebody with the same name had been fired on the other side of the country. Like, I mean, it, it sounds like a joke, but it really happened. I was blown away. So, like, getting that clean data is one of the big challenges. And uh, if you're going into working with data, it is something that you will face, we all face it, is, is trying to clean up someone's data. And if you are providing data to someone, if they tell you the data is bad, I, I mean, a good data analyst will say, these are the reasons I can't use your data. But if they don't, you know, following up and just saying, okay, well, what can we do to fix it? And sometimes the answer is we have to go to this other team and we have to involve HR. Uh, that's where all of those data connections start to come up. But uh, you know, cleaning that data is, can be a very time-consuming task for an analyst. So the better your data is to them, the better their data will be back to you. I mean, it's the, you know, the old phrase, garbage in, garbage out. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm feeling a whole lot smarter right now. Like, I feel <laughs> like I just had a couple years of college data education i i've just learned so much john thank you thank you thank you and you know in learning and development we know that data is important i mean it's super important and it's just something that i i know for me i never have had the pleasure or the opportunity to really dive into it but as we move forward and as you know roi becomes a really important thing you know how do we put you know how do we measure performance against learning it's something that we all need to get better at. So thank you so much for that. Um, before uh, we kind of tie you up in a nice little data-driven bow, 
tell us where where can our listeners find you? Where can they drink from the trough of John Lathbury and get more information on data? Uh, I mean, I, I'm I honestly I'm on LinkedIn. I think I'm actually one of like two John Lathburys. I'm pretty unique on there. Yay! So, um, you know, if people want to connect with me, like I'm more than happy, as I've shown, to talk about data and ways to work with data. Uh, like that, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me, honestly, because I have kind of a compulsion to check my LinkedIn every so often because people post interesting stuff. Data is fascinating. It's more fascinating when suddenly it lands on your plate of responsibility, which it has for me. So I am just really appreciative that you sat down with us today. Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent. I agree. Uh, the your your talk spanning from like where data is going to live, LMS to data ethics, like that's all fantastic. I'm so glad you took time. Great stuff. Hey, if you've got questions for John and or we would like to join in on our data discussion, please email us at learningnerdscast at gmail dot com, and we'll be sure to read it and maybe. If you had a decent enough time, John, we'll, we'll have you back on the show. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to come back anytime. Okay, great, cool. With that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up our data chat. We'll move into our Leadership Minute. Time for Coach Shooty's Leadership Minute. Hey, everyone. What I wanted to talk about is some wisdom from my good friend, Mr. Miyagi. You know him from uh, the Karate Kid. Daniel, are you watching Cobra Kai on uh, Netflix? I, I'm, I'm a dude named Daniel, born in the 80s. Of course I'm watching Cobra Kai. Yeah. <laughs> One of the great things from Mr. Miyagi, he had, to, uh, he had said that balance is key. You don't have balance in your life. Everything kind of falls apart. That really, really applies now more than ever. Listen, those people who are responsible for people, we have gone through a year of nothing less than anxiety-driven stuff and your people need a break. So make sure that you're taking and giving your people the breaks that they need in order to perform. Because if you don't, you'll burn them out. And just like the goose with the golden egg, they won't be able to produce great stuff. And that goes for you as well. I am guilty of this. I'm doing everything I need to do to block and tackle for my people and make sure they're happy. And I don't take any breaks for myself. And so Hey, you've got to uh, you've got to take care of yourself before you take care of anybody else. So find balance. Balance is key. That's uh, our topic this week for our leadership minute. Danielson. Yes, Scott. Did, did you pick up on that, Danielson? From uh, a, a little bit. Did you? Okay, yeah. I did that on purpose just for you. That's from Mortal Kombat, right? <laughs> Danielson. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and do us all a favor, especially me, and tell others how they can participate in the show. 100%. Guys, if you haven't already, go ahead and hit us up on email at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us some questions, join in on the discussion. We would love to have your email. If you haven't already, like us on Facebook. We're at Learning Nerds. Lastly, we're on Instagram. Fab Learning Nerds. Hey, folks, that's going to wrap it up for an awesome show about data. Thank you so much, John, for joining us. Hey, I need you to do me a favor and hit subscribe wherever you're listening to 
this program and then share it out with your friends. We want to grow our audience. We want to bring more people in and and uh, join in the fun and join in the community. If you're on iTunes, do us a favor. Leave us a review. Tell us how you like the show. We'd really, really appreciate it. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. I'm John. And we're your fabulous learning nerds. And we are out. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention. Meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you think it would give it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com BE.